Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. <laughs> <Did you know? laughs> Looks better than those damn armadillos, I tell you. <laughs> armadillos don't swim very good. That's a good cover. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 236 is recorded live April 9th, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the green side of the state of Michigan. Joining me this week is we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. And I have just come back from the dark side, so I'm into the light again now. <laughs> Max, referring to our, our pre-podcast conversation, if you're in the chat room, you could have heard all sorts of conspiracy theories and been on government watch lists as well. Uh, joining me this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just fine. We also call Jim our handler. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but it is getting green outside, isn't it? Believe it or not, I took a walk this evening with my daughter, and we're saying, my God, I don't know what he did to his lawn, but he needs to mow it. Yeah, it, it's just happened. It's all that pent-up winter. Uh, it's would, that fresh rain and warm weather, meaning 64 degrees. Yeah, I've got to get my lawnmower working. It died at the end of last year, so that will be one of my projects, probably my Sunday project to get that going, because if I don't have it, it you can go from... It being a simple job to uh, a humongous effort. Well, you can bail it instead of cut it. Yeah. Now, Jim, with this nice weather, is this when everybody comes into the dive shop and says, oh, I forgot, maybe I need to have my stuff serviced? Well, we have seen an increase in tanks coming in for hydro. That, that would be me, <laughs> which, uh, which I haven't been in yet. <laughs> no complaints on that. This, this is the time to get them in for hydro. So. How, how about the boat side of the business? Is that... Starting as well? Oh, yes. Yes, people are coming in, have been coming in. Talked to one guy today. He said, I've been working on my boat for three weeks. Yeah. Still buying parts for it. And, um, a lot of people in my neck of the woods will store their boats and RVs at the fairgrounds. They give you a pretty good rate to store them covered in uh, the fairground buildings. And they came out a couple weeks ago. So I'm sure all those people are working on them some years it feels like that that checkout from the fairgrounds is late in the year because you you had a nice weekend and you wish you had a boat to get out but this year it seemed to be just about right and you can start seeing it pick up there at the uh boat launches and some of the slips are starting to get boats in there boats as soon as they slip. figure out their, their engines are not going to freeze yeah after they use it the boats are out there yeah yeah this is yeah unless you got a uh, out, outboard like uh bob does 
kind of have to wait for that no freezing weather. We could still get some frost, but I don't think we're going to get enough to that, anything that would freeze a block. I hope not. God, that would be bad. Uh, the far, the fruit farmers. Uh, I was looking at reports today, and it looks like peaches are going to be a little tight this year. Uh, some of the U picks have already announced they're not going to do U picks for peaches. You're going to have to buy them. Uh, looks like some of the some varieties of grapes have been damaged, but uh, cherries and apples seem to be okay so far. That's your uh, market report. If you make any money on the on the market, uh, be sure to send us a check. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into scuba in the news. We have a follow-up from an article. The, if you remember, we had, seems like people are always losing their wedding rings in the water. And we had one couple whose ring was found, uh, Annie Dis, oh goodness, another name, Disgagny, and her husband were walking along. Oh, wait, I'm not even in the right article. What the <laughs> heck? Oh, I had you all this stuff. Talking about Martin here. I was talking I about what? I can pronounce Martin. Martin. I just lost the ring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, one, that one's a little bit easier. Okay, here we go. Uh, yeah, it's, this is a very, very highly scripted podcast. A couple who lost their wedding ring uh, while on a honeymoon is now going to renew their vows. Vows. <laughs> A-E-I. Uh, the couple who were reunited with their lost wedding ring after it was discovered by a scuba diver in Mexico, they have renewed their vows in an intimate ceremony along with the man who found the ring. Martin and Jessica Castillo from uh, Nuevo Larda, Mexico, lost the ring, which belonged to Mr. Castillo while he was scuba diving during their honeymoon in Playa del Carmen, and that was in February 2013. They give up any hope of finding the ring, but a Massachusetts resident, Daniel Rorick, uh, picked it up from the ocean floor a year after it was first lost. Now the honor of the lucky reunion, the ring, Mrs. and Mr. Castillo have renewed their vows and even asked Mr. Rorick, 22, to serve as their... Godfather of the Ring. I'm not saying the Spanish term for that. Uh, took place the same time as their original honeymoon. Oh, in the same town. Same time. I just make up words. Who needs an article? So then the, the rest okay. of the, you're, you're fine, Darren. It's just the government is interfering with your they're, 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 articles they're, and dithering with you. Yeah, they're, they're feeding sounds into my headphones. That's true. And making, making letters disappear. Yeah. Go right ahead. And... Let's see. The next one is somebody got lucky. Uh, Annie. Uh, How did you mean that? Lucky. Not dying is pretty lucky to me. Oh, okay. So Annie and her husband were walking along the breakwater in Ogden Point Saturday afternoon, and they spotted a scuba diver in distress about 25 meters out in the water. The diver was horizontal in the water. She could hear faint cries for help. The pair didn't have any cell phones, so they asked a couple next to them to call 911. It was intuitive, she recalled. I looked at my husband and said, someone's, have to get, someone's going to have to get her. That's all I thought. The former triathlete, a 49-year-old Vancouver resident, ran down to the steps on the rocks, took off his running shoes and socks, and dove in the water. She seemed to be moving farther out to water, he said. When he reached her, the diver's dry suit was inflated like a balloon, but the waves kept splashing over her head, which was lower in the water than her body. She was taking on water. She was coughing. She wasn't coughing crazily. She just seemed numb. Her eyes were closed, and she still had her mask on. He tried to keep her head out of the water, looked for the valve to release some of the air out of the suit. She managed to push the diver closer to the breakwater, where several men waited the water to help pull the woman to safety. The woman's diving partner eventually surfaced and said the pair had become separated while diving, and he had been looking for in the dark waters. A diver herself, uh, she said she experienced diving in deep water at the point knows it's dark down there. 
Uh, good news is that uh, the diver was released from the hospital and appears to be okay. Interesting article, and you could tell she was a diver when she said, looking for the valve to let the air out. As soon as I read that, it's like, she's a diver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't know to do that. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like, to do. Lady, yeah, sounded like she definitely had air in her boots. So her legs were up and her back would be down. Well, you know, what could be happening is sometimes, and it even will happen with a BC, not even just a dry suit, but if you are just coughing or spitting up water and you do, you, you know, you, you're, you're trying to do everything that you mentally think gets you out of the water and you inflate that BC, and there gets to be a point where it can be so buoyant that it will turn you horizontal. So you, you'd much prefer to be bobbing the water. Now you're, you know, tilted back, or if you've got a back plate and a wing, you might be forcing your head down into the water. Yeah, too much buoyancy on the suit. Yeah, well, and that's floating on the surface and and back plate on the upper part of the body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that kind of brings out a good thing to try out before you need it in an emergency is to just familiarize yourself with how your gear would react. You know, overinflate it while you're at the surface to see what it would do. Got that. A nice pool party last Friday at Bridgman. Yes. Uh, put on, I think it was uh, H, not H, yeah, H2O. H2O, yep. They had uh, 50 participants in it, and that awesome. would have been a great opportunity to overinflate your suit and see how difficult is it oh, yeah. by yourself to doing, get out of it. Doing that stuff in the pool, and, and I, I can't recommend that enough when you get new gear. Just, just treat it almost like your new diver. I mean, you've changed out some of your variables. Uh, get a chance to figure it out. You know, how's it going to react? How are... You know, where the buttons, you know, build up that muscle memory. If you've, if you, if you got a new BC, the length of the inflator might be different. The the buttons work different. I mean, there's been a lot of times where, even with my experience gear, you can some, you know, it's kind of like driving a car, accelerator, brake. Uh, you can hit the wrong wrong button, and then part of that comes to just keeping your wits about you. Don't panic. Yeah. And again, that's easier said than done unless you practice the scenario. Yes. Which most of us do not. Yeah. Well, that's something Jim Kleeman and I were talking about. It was we thought about making a set of like flashcards with different scenarios on, and then when you're, you know, either before you're going down or when you're coming up, you know, pull a card and then act out that scenario and practice it. You know, you make every dive a training dive. That's recommended by Dan, also, matter of fact. Oh, really? Now, not necessarily flashcards, but they recommend doing such things like you're going to do a five minute deco stop as a safety stop. Do some buddy breathing. Get used to doing it when you don't have to. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think that many of the training agencies have eliminated buddy breathing as a training. Just it's, it's very few people know how to do it properly, and they determine to increase risk. Right. They use they, they they depend upon using the octopus. So that's what I'm also saying is don't necessarily do the regulator bit, but practice with your, your octopus because that's what replaced you know, the buddy breathing per se. Yeah. Well, yeah, and figure out how you're going to – Offer that to somebody else. Uh, where is it attached? Uh, you know, a lot of us are up here will uh, do long hose. So you don't you donate the one that's in your mouth, which is the long hose, and then you've got uh, the tie around your neck. Mm-hmm. Well, here we have a chinchilla survives a plunge into Lake Michigan. This one's out of Michigan City. A what? Uh, chinchilla. Oh, ch- uh, yep. chinchilla. Not, a chinchilla. A chihuahua. <laughs> chihuahua. Jumped off her shoulders into the water, you say? <laughs> yeah. How many? How much milk have you had with your cookies tonight? <laughs> I've still got a, a centimeter left in the bottom of the bottle. 
attention, jealous. Much <laughs> <laughs> better than those damn armadillos, I tell you. <laughs> armadillos don't swim very good. I gotta write this time down. That's gonna be the intro. Ah, <laughs> uh, so uh, I still want to say chinchilla, chihuahua. Uh, the Just police say about... a little dog. <laughs> Oh, a rat on a rat. Yeah, a rat in a yeah. leash. Police department and U.S. Coast Guard had to save the dog from Lake Michigan pack ice last weekend, and this is actually uh, two weeks ago. Uh, just before 4 p.m. on Sunday, police received a report of a dog that had that was trapped in the ice, having escaped its owner's vehicle in the Washington Park parking lot. Officer Jason Cracknell and Brian Wright were the first ones on the scene, alerting their supervisor, Captain John Kintzill. As to the situation, the Chihuahua was trapped in the ice about 40 yards from shore. There's a channel before the actual ice shelf that was frozen over enough that it would support the little dog's weight. The owner of the dog tried to walk out the rescuer, but the ice was not thick enough to support the weight of an adult. At one point, the dog attempted to return to land but fell through the ice. She treaded water for a short time uh, before making it back to the pack ice where she ran along the edge of the water looking for a way back to shore. She was afraid and cold enough at that point that she began to succumb to hyperthermia. Which I have to think a chin, uh, a chinchilla, a little dog, a little dog, <laughs> that size that, that would have to be like two minutes. I mean, there's like no mass there. Uh, they're just a, like but a they're little, high energy dogs. Yeah, they are. They 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 and they shake a lot even when it's warm. Uh, a member of the Laporte County scuba diving team telling him to prepare for the rescue of the dog. Uh, Coast Guard Petty Officer Third Class James Pooh was already there with a dry suit and had headed out. Poe broke through the ice, making his way through the water as deep as five feet at some point, reaching the pack ice. Poe wrapped the dog in a blanket and made his way back to shore. The dog was stuck in the ice shelf for about 25 minutes before being rescued. She was taken to North Central Veterinary Emergency Center in Westville for treatment. The dog was extremely hypothermic. She was pretty lifeless, uh, Mink said, adding the dog's temperature upon arrival was 68 degrees, when typical temperatures would be about a, for that dog would be 101 to 102 for canines. That dog should be dead. Yeah. I mean, if that had been a person, that would have been pretty much it. Oh, that would have been, yeah, up the crack. Yeah, fortunately for the following day, Mink said the dog was eating and maintaining a normal body temperature. She's great. She made a very fast recovery and is very, very lucky. So that pack ice is not something to play around with. As well we know. And speaking of pack ice, you know, we do not have any ice on the North Pier side. Did that it's all gone. Is it gone? Yep, totally gone. I was talking about getting out there the other day, but unfortunately, a lot of people had to work and I didn't have anybody to go with me. Can't and Bob it, get that nuclear plant fueled up? You could get him to bring the boat out. <laughs> it's getting that way. We can get rid of those darn dry suits and get back to the wetsuits and get out there. Hey, I just fixed my dry suits. i got to test them out yet, so I'm not ready to go wet. Uh, I, I still got to get a wetsuit now that i got a dry suit. I guess I could wear my, <laughs> my wetsuit or the uh, string bikini, as we like to call it. <laughs> Actually, I made a mistake. Well, I didn't really make a mistake. You thought you made one. Well, <laughs> no, I made a mistake. So, and then the customer decided after I corrected the mistake that they didn't want me to correct the mistake. Which was a mistake in the mistake. Right. So I have a 3X wetsuit that I need to get rid of. Ah. <clears throat> so <laughs> I'm afraid. What was the mistake? ordering a 3x wetsuit for this customer oh <laughs> well they they were denying that they were a 3x no they wanted it oh until they 
they, they wanted two until they put on the first one and then decided they didn't want either. Oh. Okay. Okay, well, I'll, I'll have to take, come down there and take a look at what you got. Just, just so you know, there's a, a spare 3X wetsuit laying around. Okay. Now, here we have a hyperbaric chamber going under $350,000 for a f- refurbishment. Hope this, you've got a good web link for that. I do. Didn't, uh, yeah, I, uh, it's, it should be in Skype. If you look in Skype, I reset okay. it. Thank yeah, you. That, that was uh, another one of my fun playing with Max and shortcuts. It's the government trying to screw it you is. up. It is. They again. were messing me up. That and them chinchillas. Uh, hyperbaric chamber undergoing $350,000 for refurbishment. And this is up in the Bruce Peninsula. Does anybody have any idea where this is? This has got to be in Canada. They, they Bruce, mentioned Peninsula, Bruce, Bruce Peninsula, I believe, is Tobamori. Yeah, Tobamori. Okay, good. Uh, so th- so that's uh, right there with Canada, Michigan area? Tobamori. Ontario. Ontario, okay. So the hyperbaric chamber near the tip of the Bruce Peninsula has been used to treat scuba divers in distress for nearly four decades. A fundraiser is currently underway to raise $350,000 cost to refurbish a replacement vessel which is hauled to Tor- Tobamore a few years ago that is no that is now larger and more accessible can be used to treat and educate and train even more people. The goal is to have the new chamber up and running by June 1st. The little chamber we had been using was awful tight quarters for doing any work. It's about 54 inches internal diameter. The new one is 72 inches, so we saw an opportunity to move up, and it was also allows us to enlarge the program quite a bit. This according to Dr. George Harper. So, but even at seventy-two inches, that's got to be about half the size of the one that we've got in Kalamazoo, uh, or less. Yeah. So they had it was really just fifty-four inches. That's tight. So you could just get basically a diver and a tender in there, couldn't you? At fifty-four inches, that would be real tight for two. Yeah, you just put about the diver because the one they're showing, which is the newer one they're working on refurbishing, that even looks tight. But they're going to say they can get like up to four people in it, I believe. I don't know how. That's pretty freaking small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, originally was set up for diving accidents in the bends and air embolisms and things like that. Now our biggest is wound care and wound healing, diabetic ulcers, people that have had radiation treatment. We treat them before and after to help promote bone and skin growth. Anything that involves getting pure oxygen to damaged tissues is a, is a, to promote the healing. Yeah, they, they say they really only have one... Uh, at most, they see one decompression sickness a year. And that's good. That is good. And you want to have one for when you really don't need it. Yeah. A chamber, that is. Yes. Yeah, you, don't, you don't want decompression sickness. <laughs> uh, the vessel that is undergoing the refurbishment was used at Toronto General Hospital until 2002. It was then placed in storage at Seneca College. It arrived in Tupamori in 2012, installed in the community's new medical clinic, which was built last year. Tobomori Hyperbaric Facility Incorporated was formed in February 2014 to raise money for the refurbishment project. At present time, there are some of the wounds that are being treated, particularly by home care, that go on to interminably for years. At the end of time, it ends up costing the system huge money. Come to the order sixty to sixty to a hundred thousand dollars a year for a home visit routine for some of the chronic wounds. With all the materials they take home involved in misery and suffering of the patient, so it's important to improve the situation when we get the wounds that will be uh, response uh, respond to healed. Get those wounds that will respond to healed. Oh, okay. I read it a little bit out of order. Tons of treatments could also be expanded with a, f- a refurbished cent- uh, chamber. 
And if you want to see more information about it, it's www.tobamorihyperbaric.ca for the project, and I'm sure they'll take your money. <clears throat> Lobsters. Now, do me a, fair, a favor, Darren. Are you on the page already looking at all the guys holding up this tiny lobsters? No, not yet. Okay, when you get there, let me know. Okay. And follow my directions. Okay, I'm on the page. Okay, now, top of the left part where it says conflicting numbers, you're, you're there? Yep, yep. You see it? All right, conflicting numbers make for a weird end to the lobster season. Do me a favor. Yep. Do not read the names under it. Okay. Just don't do that and continue. Okay. So the That's uh, all going the the spi- okay the uh, spiny the 2014 2050 spiny lobster harvest season closed a week ago Wednesday. It's likely to go down as one of the most unusual ever. Recreational commercial divers said they enjoyed bountiful catches since the season opened August six. For the first time, bully netters catches suppressed those of the commercial divers. Commercial trappers coming off the previous season of the highest landings in a decade harvested fewer bugs than ever in the past eight months, but have sold their catches for two to three times the price. Said it's a real catch 22, says Tom Matthews, a veteran research scientist at Florida Fish and Wildlife Research Institute's a marathon. is a big surprise to me that fishermen thought it was a good year. Uh, during the 13-14 season, uh, commercial divers, uh, lobster fishers, the majority working in the Keys, bought 6.2 million pounds. 6.2 million of the bugs. Matthew said they kept their traps in the water longer because they were being paid as much as $18 per pound, while whole live lobsters uh, by buyers from China. The catch level was so high, scientists said they expected limits set by the federal Magnuson-Stevens Fishery Conservation and Management Act Managers thought they would require a cut to allowable catch the season to make up for the overage. But that didn't happen because fishermen brought in way fewer bugs than expected. Current projections are 3.1 million to 4.4 million pounds the season ends. The lobster fishery is known for fluctuations. It averages 1.5 million pounds up or down each year, so this has been a bad season total. But because of the higher prices per pound, fishermen didn't see a problem. Uh, troubles have been looming over the lobster fishery for at least a decade. Matthews pointed out the average lobster, lobster landings over the past 10 years have been down by one-third. Scientists are trying to figure out why. Possible factors include a lobster virus discovered in 2000 that affects juveniles, overfishing in the Caribbean where the larvae uh, settle in the Florida's inshore nurseries originate, loss of juvenile habitat in the Florida Bay and elsewhere, and other environmental factors. Biologically, it's something that needs to be addressed. So that's kind of your free market working for you. Yeah, lower catch, higher dollar, which means the sport fishermen are getting more value for their yeah their catches when they're out there because they're not selling them. Yeah, they said before the advent of the Chinese market, the brothers could expect six to seven dollars a pound for their catches. This past week, they got eleven. Early in the season, they were getting eighteen. Hmm. We dove a lot more than we have in the past years. When the price is $16, 100 pounds is a good payday. You know, we're going to have to remember the site because they keep uh, seeing the headlines down here. They provide dolphin reports. Really? Mm-hmm. Must be a season for dolphins. Do they have, like, dolphin recipes? Like no, didn't really say. Or? They just they just said, you know, follow the dolphins. I wonder what mana steaks run. Here's another one since we're talking about tasty things. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Get the latest Dolphins news, stats, injury reports Yeah, sent weekdays during the season. That's unbelievable. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's good. It's good they're into wildlife like that. Yeah, nice of them. Right, right now, there's a bunch of people in their cars screaming at the radio, going, "You guys are numbskulls!" <laughs> hey, what, what do they mean, us guys? <laughs> I know the difference between a chihuahua and a uh, chimichanga. <laughs> chimichanga. <laughs> that's that. That's just a little bit of batter and about 350 degree oil. <laughs> 99% of what we catch, we throw back. That's better than throwing up. Yes. Or up. So this one is out of San Diego. They're talking about lobster fishing over there where the last one was Florida. This is San Diego. Uh, so they their season is between October and February. It is lobster season. I will try to make best to call you back in a timely manner if you need me. Try texting me. This is what his phone message will say if you call him during those months. Says the last couple of years, I've only missed two days on the ocean. So he says in total they have two hundred pounds of salmon heads that he uses as bait late in the season. Medic likes to fish with two hundred and fifty pounds in the beginning of lobster season. It's not abnormal for him to have forty five hundred pounds of bait on hand at a cost of about fifty cents a pound. Um, so uh, what he's saying is that a lot of the di- the lobsters he's pulling up so out of a trap. It's not unusual this time of year to only have one or two that are keepers. The rest he throws back, so there'll be 40 bugs in the trap, and he has to throw them all back. And uh, that's a law to keep the fishery healthy. They have to throw the small ones or the juveniles back in the water. It says, the other day we pulled a trap with 60 lobsters, could only keep one. 99% of what we catch, we throw back. The state law is that all lobsters under 3 and one fourth inches, or also called shorts, be returned to the sea, they are illegal to sell. Uh, he pulls another trap uh, where he has to cut kelp off. He says, if I catch 40 lobsters today, it's a good day for me this time of year. We have to gross about $1,000 today, anything less than that, on a consistent basis. And he says it's time to end the season. I wonder if instead of shorts, you call them crayfish. Yes. <laughs> well, you, you think that would be a different species then. You could keep them. Because they would be big crayfish, wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, 40% of my catch gets stolen from divers. Now, this is something I was alarmed by. And and I, I wonder if he's over-exaggerating. You're hoping he is. In October, it's a race to get to the traps before the thieves get to them. We don't catch that many, so if somebody comes and takes five lobsters from me, that's a big chunk of what I made for that day. It's stealing. Some people tell themselves it's not. He's even witnessed a diver stealing from firsthand. He said, I had a scuba diver who was right on top of my trap. It was clear water that day, so I could see him. I pull up the trap as fast as I could. It was open and empty. Let's see, did I just? Did we just disconnect? I don't know, but I wish you would say thieves instead of divers. And a thief was right on top of my trap. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's see, let's pick Jim back up. We lost him for a second there. I mean, you could say thieves instead of divers. Well, divers means everybody. Thieves is thieves. Or how about a scuba diving thief? Okay, there you go. I'm back. That's debatable, but. <laughs> He says, uh, I pulled the trap, got it up. It was open and empty. I did a couple circles over his head. He stayed in the bottom, swam all the way to shore, got out in the beach, jumped in his truck, and drove away. There's nothing you can really do. There's nothing to be gained from overreacting. He says, I mean, what am I going to do, pull a gun? What's wrong with your prop? (laughs) With your prop? (laughs) Get an extension on, use it as a weed whacker, take him out? He says, odds are... Yeah, he says, if... uh, says, uh, which some people do, odds are that they're going to get arrested. It's not going to do you any good. He could have tossed the anchor. 
Yeah. See, I think what you need to do is bait the trap with, uh, you know, like a like a lobster that would grab them, like a robo lobster. Just just toss over uh, one of those audible recall devices. Or how or about, chinchilla. You know the ones I'm talking about. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, They're explosive. Yeah, I was getting what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, you may not get him, but he's going to wish he were in the vicinity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and you're, what you're doing is recalling divers. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, here's another one on the next page. You see what he's talking about? It says, just outside of Del Mar, a couple of fishermen, a skiff, surprise medic. Instead of setting an anchor, the pair tie up to one of his traps. Hmm. As soon as he spots the faux pas, the medic steers through the boat towards him and picks up speed. They quickly cut their line. <laughs> Assholes, medic says under his breath. Pulling alongside him, he shouts calmly over the engine, these traps cost me $80 a piece. They aren't strong enough to hold your boat. They knowledge and apologize. No wonder my traps have been moving around. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I would not even think about taking something out of somebody's traps. No. I mean, that wouldn't even cross my mind. I, I would consider stopping one before it got into the trap. But if it was in the trap, I wouldn't take it out because you know it's not yours. Yeah, well, once it touches the trap, you know, if it's crawling up the side or it's gotten to the trap, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's his. But yeah. if, you know, if it hasn't gotten there yet, then it should be free game. Um, that's pretty low life to do that. Yeah. yeah. yeah Is so. this a uh, religious-based newspaper? The San Diego Reader. Because it says you can follow the Padres. <laughs> must, they, they must, they, uh, do they, now, do they have dolphin news, too? Nope. Nope. They don't have any dolphin news. They just say you can follow the Padres. Did you, did you follow up on some of the comments at the end of this? Uh, I'm there now. I live in the Pacific Northwest. We often have crab traps, not lost, not lobster traps. I have been a diver since summer 1966 to allow Vietnam era. I have never seen a diver take a crab from a trap. That's yeah. the way it ought to be. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that's a problem is I think there's a little exaggeration. 60%. I mean, is that just an excuse well, for said bad? 40%, didn't he? Didn't uh, 40, he I'm 40? sorry, 40%. 40 uh, it still seems an awful high number. It, it yeah. does. I mean, it's it just kind of like a way of explaining away you had a bad catch. I mean, you shouldn't have any stolen by divers, but uh, I would yeah. I would question the numbers. Mm. Um, I mean, the way okay. the way like he, what's that? I like crab too. <laughs> crab are good too. Crab. Uh, anything that fishes uh, fishes <laughs> anything that swims in the sea, pretty much. If you can cook it. Yeah, if I know Mac, he would eat a mermaid. Okay, here's another one. This one's out of La Jolla. Judge confirms ruling tossing the La Jolla odor lawsuit. Superior Court judge uh, rejected claims of a lawsuit filed by La Jolla business owners upset with a foul odor along the scenic coastline believed to be caused by sea lions and bird droppings. In conferring his Confirming his previous tentative ruling, Judge Timothy Taylor granted the city of San Diego motion for a summary judgment in the lawsuit filed two years ago by Citizens for Odor Nuisance Abatement. Uh, Norm Bluthenthal, the plaintiff's lawyer, said that the hearing that he will appeal. The city's attorney office said the odors are part of the risk of being situated near marine environment. Sea lions are proliferating through California and neither their fault nor the responsibility of San Diego. 
The city can address the pooping habits of wild animals as a policy matter, but it can't be compelled to do so by the courts. A judge ruled that the city doesn't have the duty and control any nuisance caused by wild animals and isn't the cause of the odor. Uh, Bluthenthal contended the city took on the duty when former Mayor Bob Fillner signed a May 2013 executive order calling for guano left by cormorans to be cleaned up. There's no evidence the odor is off of effect. Uh, let's see. City has taken a couple of steps to alleviate the odor, including spraying micro uh, bile form on the rocks, installing a gate and a fence, in hopes of increasing presence of people in the bluffs would deter the sea lions from taking up residence. The liar said the bird stench was cleaned up, only to be replaced by sea lion odor. <clears throat> they didn't finish a job. Two years tells you nothing is going to get done, and people are suffering from it. You know, I am shocked and dismayed to find out that animals poop. Well, no. you saw no basis for that comment, though, right? What do you Bob, mean? What, Mayor Bob signed an executive order. God, I've heard people doing that before. Anyway, <laughs> calling for Ronald left by Comerance to be cleaned up is setting a standard. Yeah, but that is. I mean, not... if I can see where their basis is, even though both of them leave a lot to be desired. Right, and. Does the mayor have the authority to commit the whole citizens of the county to cleaning up poop left by wild animals so that businesses who happen to be along the shore and didn't realize that there would be shore smells? Hey, it's an executive order. He doesn't need any authority. <laughs> Just like when especially, we especially when an executive order you know, has to deal with crap. Yes. Well, I, it appears to be done, but... Uh, Maybe we'll we'll be able to hear about that update in a year. Well, that's like when we had the alewives the alewives die off many many years ago. Mm-hmm. As used to be very very right. Now who are you going to sue? Nobody. Well, what they, what this association is maintaining is that they believe it's controllable and that the city has a responsibility to pay for the cleanup. Now I'm sure if you wanted to raise the taxes to the business owners, you know, twenty percent, that they would be fine with that. Or if it's that bad, why don't they pay for it? Couldn't they hire a crew? Yeah, go on out there and do it yourself. Yeah. And see out there with little doggy bags for the fish and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, my, my wife who works for Animal Control, there's so much of that around where people expect the government to do things that, you know, sometimes they're not even legally allowed to do. Uh, judge puts the kibosh on attempt to salvage Cape Cod shipwreck. This one is a Maine federal judge's ended a Maine treasure hunter six-year effort to salvage what he claimed to be a $3 billion in platinum for a World War II ship off of Cape Cod. Judge ruled Wednesday that the Sea Hunters LP is no longer able to salvage additional items from the SS Port Nicholson, which was sunk by a Nazi U-boat in 1942. The judge also denied an attempt by investors to win salvage rights and said evidence suggests that nothing valuable to salvage. Decision first reported by the Portland Press-Herald brings an end to the effort that led to criminal investigation and legal action by investors. Greg Brooks, Brooks believed the Port Nicholson carried platinum bars from the Soviet Union that were payment for the U.S. for war supplies. Now, is that possible? I mean, the judge did the ruling, so I guess it, it is possible. But are they able to make a ruling just because they don't believe there's treasure on it? Did you read the – this was something you had last week also or the week before. Oh, does that, did I just not – No, this is similar. This is a different slant to it, but uh-huh. – I think I, I'm trying to remember if this was in 700 foot, and it basically sounded like this guy said and was trying to get investors to invest money over a six-year period 
to salvage ah. something that nobody could prove was there. So it sounds more like he's saying, you can't prove it's really there. Nobody you know, agrees with you that's worth $16 billion. You cannot use it as a means to fundraise get people to invest in something because you can't. You know what I'm saying? It's like it was more of a fraud case than a yeah. That's what it sounded like. Case. Mm. So mm-hmm. here's a guy who's been playing this up several other times, and the judge just said, "Yeah, you're not going to do that." Because it looks like he's been your, sued. If if you had any proof at all, there's three billion in platinum down there. You're not going to have any trouble getting somebody who's going to no. help retrieve that from 700 feet. Well, you have Odyssey. I mean, they've they've got experience at doing it. That depth's much deeper than that. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's if if they knew that was really something that was even remotely possible, you'd spend a couple of million just to prove it is or isn't. Yeah, yeah. Because the return on investment would be pretty darn good. Yeah. And that was three billion based on today's prices, not what it was when it went down. Yeah. Now on platinum, would that come up on a metal detector? I don't know. Now that you said that, where is that on the periodic table? Platinum's is that heavier than gold? I did because I know gold will, lead will, silver. Well, here, let's let's find out. Yeah, great, I think it will. Great big book platinum of everything. Platinum and palladium. But if you're inside of a ship and you're going to use a magnetometer, duh! I think the ship is going to say, "I'm," you know, it's going to cover it. It'll mask it. The the ship is going to be all the metal around it. And if it's been down there since '42, uh, I can't imagine that if you went down there with a submersible and just a couple of pounds of C4. If there's not any hole in it already, you could make a big opening that you could send a little robot in there. Okay, I'm, I'm on a website, which I... Hey, I like this uh, this station. What's that? This, uh, this article we're reading, mm-hmm. I like this website, because these guys report on Patriots. <laughs> You're really trying to make the list today, aren't you? He's got them on fire. All I know is my little machines do not want to load down half the, the sites tonight for some reason. Smart. Is that dark web? To- <laughs> it's because you're on the Queen Mums machine. Yes. No, I'm using. A, I'm having to use a Chrome program instead of Internet Explorer. Yeah. Yeah, Chrome has kind of jumped the shark in some situations. I know Chrome's getting a little slower lately. I think this might be one we covered before, too, isn't it? Scuba divers. I'm still looking on that other one. The Port Nicholson wreck in 2008, his claim of valuable metals led to a splash in the media in 2012, but there were many persons of it. He eventually put his vessel up for sale and laid off his crew, which to me sounds scam. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. But then again, I'm probably jumping to conclusions. Yeah, we have no evidence. Allegedly scam. Uh, scuba divers launch an appeal to find descendants of a World War One ship captain. A group of scuba divers has launched an appeal to find the relatives of a captain who died following the sinking of a ship in World War II. Merchant Navy Captain Arthur Ligertwood Murison was in charge of the SS Pitiguano, which was torpedoed on March 18, 1918. The ship had been a coal carrier for the Allied war effort. It was hit by a missile from a U-boat. A missile in 1918? Did they have missiles? Or sure. Is that, or is, I mean, is, is that what they... Well, it could have been a, a surface shot. Uh, that, that's what I'm a thinking. A gun, gun projectile. Yeah, I, that must be what they a meant. A gun projectile. Yeah, they said it was... Is it uh, written in the UK? Yeah, UK. Well, what do you expect? <laughs> Thanks to all UK listeners. You know, the, uh, 
if there's anybody that can butcher the English language, it's the UK. Yeah, it's like, a, where do they think this language came from? Uh, the ship, which has been carrying, uh, let's see, the vessel was laying at 65 feet down the seabed off the coast of Exeter ever since. Now, nearly 100 years later, the British Subaquatic Club is preparing to perform a commemorative dive on March 18th, 2018, to mark the century of the sh- since, since the ship's demise. The run-in with the commemorative dive, the BSAC is attempting to track down descendants of the ship's captain. The Captain Morrison was from uh, Methlick in Aberdeenshire, survived the attack, but died a year later in Granand, France, at age 58. Two men died mm-hmm. when the ship was torpedoed, the first mate and the fourth engineer. Now it was torpedoed. So it was missiled and then torpedoed. Somebody got the source out and they're doing something. As a club, we intend to dive on her in the 100th anniversary of sinking in 2018 to commemorate her loss as part of the Nautical Archaeological Society Lost Beneath the Web's 1914-1918 initiative. That is a long name for an initiative. Uh, we'll be trying to locate relatives of anyone who may have served on her at any time of her sinking, especially Captain Arthur uh, Liggerwood Murison. And the two casualties, first rate, first mate, Rudolph Richards, and fourth engineer, John Chin. Not much is known about Captain Merson, except that he was married to a woman named Annie Donaldson in May 1900, had two daughters, Ann Merson, who died in 1999 in Maryland, in the United States, and Agnes Hasty Merson, who died in March 1995 in Perthshire. Well, if they've got that, shouldn't that be enough? Uh, Mr. Braybrook, who has been diving for more than 30 years, added, it would be fantastic to find relatives of Captain Morrison so we can share the project with our team, particularly dive. We are planning on a, the centurion of the ship sinking. Anyone who can help locate descendants or any further information on Bay Tiguano would urge to get in touch with the Seven Side, Severn Side Subaquatic Club. Can't they just go to Ancestry.com and look it up? Probably could. By the way, that item they're doing, the, the Nautical Archaeological Society is encouraging commemorative dives on World War I wrecks through a new project, Lost Beneath the Waves, 1914-1918. Divers around the world, sport, commercial, military, are invited to visit sites of World War I losses of any nation from now to 2018, as close as possible to the anniversaries of their sinking. They're asked to share their experiences, observations, and any research by uploading photographs, video clips, and notes following their dives. So that's where they're coming from. Okay. That's, it's a cool program. As long as you get a permit. A permit. To dive it. Hey, government wreck. You need a permit to dive. Oh, wait a minute. Two people died on it, right? It's a you, can't, permit. you can't do any exploration on that, right? It's like a tomb. Oh, here we go. <laughs> get a permit to dive the monitor. Yeah, that's that's, that's because that's because the uh, the current from your fins will destroy the monitor. Right. Yeah. What's left of it that they didn't take already that you that, don't that, see that, that they stole and stuck in a museum <laughs> that that they then couldn't fund to finish the project, so it rusted if, in a tank. If you're an archaeologist, it's not thievery. <laughs> it's called Grant. <laughs> Okay, this one is out of Australia. Uh, underwater rugby champions will be held in Brisbane. This, oh, they, they were held this last weekend. Hosted by the University of Queensland team, the Uni Dive Gals. 
For some years, Australia and New Zealand have been playing for a Hunter's, Hunter Cup, currently held by Australia. The Pan-Pacific competition is the first time a team from Asia will compete in Australia. Singapore is sending two teams. Underwater rugby is played in a deep pool, maximum depth of 5 meters, with teams of 12. Six players from each team are in the water at one time, and they use a bench regularly to cover their breath. The goal goals are on the bottom of the pool, and positioned positions are forward, back, and goalie. Said so the sport is new to Australia. The Gauls team was established two years ago and is known as the Uni Dive Gauls, and it sprang from U- UQ's scuba diving club Uni Dive. Underwater rugby is definitely gaining popularity. Last year, team started in Melbourne. This team, this year, teams have sprung up in Perth and. Uh, what is that? Adelaide. The Gauls were featured on TV show Totally Wild this year, and recently the Sydney team was interviewed by Mario on the footy show, which in the U.S. we have no idea what either of those are. Uh, UQ students and staff played in, in Gauls and are supported by Travel Country and Wit Sunday Escape. The problem here is who's got pools that deep? I, I can't think of a pool where we could play that. Just in that small section of the Bridgman diving side. Yeah, you just have a little That's section. That's a very small place. So that, that'd be like playing uh, basketball with one hoop. Works for me. Yeah, you, you, that's a tag. Can't run full court, so that would work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't know if I'd hold my breath to the bottom. Uh, so five meters, so we're talking 15 feet. Yeah, but that you need that. So probably what they're doing is they're using uh, probably university diving pools to do this yeah. type of activity. It, it kind of sounds cool. I don't know if I would do it. I know. Not at your age. Probably not. You know, my my walker would get caught in the steps going in. <laughs> uh, the Canadian government unveils 3D model, models. Models? I, I, I only thought there was D and double D. I didn't realize there was 3D. You pay your money and get all sorts of stuff. Yeah. That must be that dark web again. Yeah. Uh, Canadian government under, unveils 3D models of the HMS Erebus. Partnership between the Canadian government and private industry unveiled high-precision 3D models of the HMS Erebus, Sir John Franklin's lead ship found last year in Canadian's Arctic waters as part of Parks Canadia. Canadia. <laughs> Canadia? <laughs> Those Canadians. Uh, search for the vessel that lost an 1845 expedition. The model was unveiled in uh, Frederick, what was that, Frederick Shun, New Brunswick. I think that's right. Officials from the Fishery and Oceans Canada joined the Canadian geospatial software company CARIS and Geomass Technology Innovation Support Center, Tectera, to unveil the models and used up all their acronym letters in one paragraph. Uh, Canadian innovation continues to play a major role in ongoing successful efforts to explore, research, understand our maritime history. It's a privilege to watch traditional means and modern technology come together to create a deep understanding of the Arctic and the Canadian identity. That's kind of neat, little little three D model. Do you, do you it think it's interesting? It, I blew up the picture to see what it sort of looked like. You could probably print that out with a three D printer too. Yeah, well, I think that's what they did. They uh, they scanned the wreck in three D and then modeled it and put it in a three D printer. So uh, that's what they did. But uh, do you think there'd be interest in any of the Michigan shipwrecks doing that? I think you, if you were doing it, it would have to have some significant history behind it, like the Griffin, something like that, or the Fitzgerald. I mean, a standard. You know, our, our sand wrecks and rubble wrecks? I don't think so. Our sand wrecks where you could take three three sticks from your backyard and simulate the wreck? Or if it washes on shore and the sand runs it away and then it's, oh, oh my, we've got a new shipwreck like they did last week oh, up I north. Didn't, I didn't hear about that one. Uh, up in the dunes. Had pictures and stuff of it. It'll go away again. It does that every four or five years. But it's news every time it happens. 
Yeah, we had one article a couple weeks ago where they had that. seemed like that happened. And then here, here just for you, aliens and UFOs are in the world's deepest lakes. That was interesting. I don't, I've already researched that one, but it's really <laughs> – so I'm going to let you go. And, of course, everybody knows about MUFON, right? Uh, the Mutual UFO Network. If you haven't been to that place, you really need to go there. They have got some fantastic videos of UFOs that are out there yeah. and some really interesting encounters. I, I really like their gift shop, though. <laughs> they, they've got I, the you can, I, get, I always like the alien rides myself. Yeah, yeah they, they got the the you can get the aluminum ball caps and I, I, gotta can't, I cannot wear the aluminum ball caps. For some reason, they yeah. keep falling off from <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's you know, maybe because I've got the foil too tight. Well, you know, they say a lot of men wear it on the wrong head. <laughs> because they're supposed to use the one that they think with, not the one they do with, or whatever. Something about you lying, something called a jockstrap, I don't know. Yeah, it's curious reports of oh, extraterrestrials I'll... are pulling Steven Spielberg to Siberia to Siberia. Goodness, I should just quit now. Siberia. No, no, wait, 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 wait. i got to interrupt here. Yes. <laughs> I've got an important question for Mac. If you're using the aluminum foil to protect the important stuff, why would you not wear it in your jock strap? Because I use lead. I don't use aluminum foil. <laughs> We're back to the periodic table again. <laughs> you're going to think that's funny, but lead jock straps have been used back on some experiments years ago. <laughs> Jim, I think this explains quite a bit. <laughs> it. it Helps me explain why his wife says there's no lead in his pencil. <laughs> oh gosh, where's, I, I, I'm gonna have to break out the sound recordings. You're gonna need a drum roll. Simple <laughs> crash. Uh, since ancient times, the lake was it Bacall has been known as deeply mysterious. But in the closing years of the Soviet area, and since there's been a number of alleged sightings of aliens and UFOs. Initially, these were covered up by authorities of the USSR, but later were revealed by the Russian media. In recent days, have been unconfirmed reports that Russia, in Russia that American director Steven Spielberg is planning a documentary based on the weird and... Let's, let me go back. What, what date is this article? It's the 30th. Is it's, this? it's Friday, April the 10th, 2015. It's not April 1st. I know. It's like I, I think even when I posted it originally. But this article goes on and on and on. And it's got some good pictures. Did you go through and do the interviews? I actually listened to all this. This is neat stuff. Yeah, this is this is a long one. I mean, this goes on and on. Yes, it does. That one lady looks like Rhea Perlman, though. <laughs> she recalls a UFO visit to the Chandra Salmon. Yeah. Yeah, it goes on. So if you're into aliens and underwater, this is an uh, involved article. Aren't all divers? Yeah. Or most divers? Yeah. As long as they're not an invasive species, I'm all for it. Hey, they were here first. How do you think you got here? You were seated here, man. Come on. Uh, okay. <laughs> I would go to one of their conferences in a heartbeat. Wouldn't you guys? Oh, I, I especially if it was in Vegas. You, you know, I have, uh, I have been to a conference with my dad in the seventies. We went to one. They had, uh, and you was, remember it? Yeah, it was. I wasn't that young. It was uh, Omni Magazine. It might have been like eighty-one, but it was Omni Magazine, 
had these UFO researchers, and they were doing a tour, and they came to, well, that was when I lived in Midland, and we, we went and listened to the presentation. And they had all sorts of stuff. They had photos, and they put it up on screens, and you got to see it. And it was interesting. I edited one of my presentations I was given not too long ago, and I was talking about the Michigan Triangle. And, the uh, you know, people have a little interest in that aspect. But I went through the Muffon reports for 2012 and 13. Phenomenal amount of activity along the coast from St. Joe up to Muskegon, which is one of the legs of the triangle. And uh, there's a good bit of the new type, the the triangle type, Mm -hmm. that have been identified and caught on radar as, I don't know what those are. Yeah. type items from chicago hmm. mm-hmm. now, it, it's quite interesting now have you gone out there and have you noticed that if you're watching the sun go down that it sizzles when it hits the water well it has to i mean it's you know it's hot man the other one is the green flash which i still haven't seen you haven't seen the green flash i haven't seen the green flash i feel neglected or I, I don't know. Mark was out there a couple of weeks ago, and if you saw the pictures he put on Facebook of the Aurora Borealis. Now, those are, those are cool. Well, are you sure? Or was that reentry flashes from alien aircraft? Or, it could be. I mean, that's what some of the speculation was. That's why so many people were out there watching. Well, we know there are things that happen that the government does not want to talk about. Absolutely. Like, like things that fall off airplanes that disappear. Yeah. Oh, don't even. Okay, we're back. We're back to the pre-show stuff. I've been I've been following this uh, this flight where the the plane crashed, and you as a pilot might have a, a, a thought on this. Where they the they said that the captain locked the other the other pilot out of the cabin. Yeah, co-pilot locked the captain out of the pilot the okay. cabin, and then set the yeah the one that yeah. crashed in France. Now. From from people I know who have who've piloted the Airbus, they said that that would be screaming so loud as you were coming down. But they said that the they claimed that the guy who was causing it to crash was calm because they could hear his breathing on the tape. And but there was saying, no pull up, pull up, pull up. Pull well, that, up. that's well, they haven't released the audio conveniently. So, and then also they said on the door, if somebody's trying to break in the door, there's an unsilenceable alarm that goes off for 30 seconds. So they said all that noise would be such a racket that you couldn't hear the pilot breathing. So there's a lot of stuff. Also, they, they found the flight recorder, but a chip had fallen out of it and they couldn't find it. Does that even seem possible? Not on the flight recorder. Yeah. But there was other items that have come out in the German paper, Der Spiegel, um, about they had actually found chips from people's uh, camera slash phones. Yeah, that they took during that last ten minute ride down. And uh, now is that people who... see some of that? Even though I could understand why you would not want that publicized. But yeah. by the same token, I didn't do the calculations. But if it took you ten or fifteen minutes to come down from thirty six thousand feet, you know that's not a really ungodly descent rate. 500 no. feet a minute is a standard for landing pattern for around right. here anyway. Well, they, they what they're saying is that he used the auto that he he used the autopilot. Yeah. So I I mean I'm not yeah you know, it's possible some of this stuff comes together. It's just the way it all comes out is reported, and some of this I blame on papers want to be the first to report something. 
and they're not vetting their sources. Well, the other aspect, after all these many weeks, have you seen any article on what the gentleman's religion is? I'm just curious as heck. Well, they real early on said he was Muslim, but then they retracted that. That was a German statement by um, another German organization. Yeah. Yeah, there was some saying that he was on medicines that they went through his house and they found pills that he hadn't taken. Um, but, I mean, just all the stuff, the way the information comes out, it's all its all hard to believe anything one way or the other. But you know? I'm, I'm still you, amazed. You mean you don't trust the government in their information releases? Well, is, is You it, mean you think the media might be misleading the public? Well, let, let, let's, let's jump into conspiracy. If if I'm an airplane manufacturer and my plane, which does have a uh, an occasion to steer itself incorrectly, maybe I might want it to be a bad guy who drove the plane to ground and not the plane having a malfunction. Let me just say, and that's a possibility. And the other thing is, if I'm a government and I'm trying to take civil liberties away, doesn't it make it much easier if I can get everybody to think that even highly qualified and vetted pilots are crazy? If a pilot's crazy, everybody's crazy. Nobody should have anything. This this is a, this is a pre-show that everybody got to miss. <laughs> I I think we need to do these, you know, separate show just for the conspiracy theories. Oh, I'm sorry, the chat room. <laughs> WTF is this guest five? <laughs> everybody just. We, I think we lost everybody in the chat room. All I said is I believe in UFOs. Come on. What the heck are these? Uh, these are people in the chat room I have never seen before. <laughs> and probably won't again. Well, yeah, I'm not going to say what some of the stuff they were saying. This is, this is. Uh, I think we got spammed in the, the chat room. Oh, I don't know. It might be our new loyal listeners. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell us what they're saying so we'll have some clue. Uh, I don't think so. I'll tell you guys afterwards. It's pretty, okay. it's, it's uh pretty bad. It's not unusual. I think, I think talk shoes having problems and these are people from another show. Cause one of the comments is why can't I, I request to join a call on any stream. So that means that I think people are just wandering around, which yes. does, does happen from time to time. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the erasing motion on my, my uh, screen here uh-huh. so we can start over now. Okay, okay. Of the week. so we're doing a reset. Okay, photos of the week. We have a spectacular photo of a scuba diver swimming under a massive fish tornado, which I thought was a nice photo. National Geographic shot is a picture of a diver swimming under a shoal of fish in uh, Cabo Palma in Baja, California, Peninsula, Mexico. The picture was shot by California photographer Jeff Hester. Shows an ocean full of life, but wasn't always the case. It's an interesting picture. It would sort of freak you out, though. That would be that's a, that, uh, if you were in that. That would uh, I don't know. I don't think I'd want to be in that. If if those fish had teeth, I'd be very concerned. <laughs> well, well, look at the size of some of the fish that are outside the group. Yeah, I mean there are a good two and a half, three feet, and that tornado is, just looks to be filled with them. And they look like piranha, or not? Yeah, I I, I bet they they taste like chicken though. And let's see, we got some potentially cool, if I can get back to it, scuba gear. So uh, this might be a case where you want to be droned. Yeah, that's not a bad idea there. Well, you think about it, that would be much more effective than some of the others. And what we're talking about is this is the article is the Stamford Advocate.com. 
a drone attachment developed by Stanford to help prevent drowning. Uh, Fly out and drop a ring buoy. Yeah, Bill uh, Pedra was gathering feedback from lifeguards about his invention, which was a drone, an accessory for an alien drone that drops a life preserver to swimmers in distress. The improvements they suggested was not one that he expected. He said it needed to be designed to drop two life rings or four or more. Uh, in March, uh, Pedra posted his project uh, Riptide on Kickstarter, crowdfunding site, uh, to set money for a goal. The help of five high school students in King Low, Thomas Haywood, and Stamford, Pedra developed the accessory, which attaches to a drone that can be guided from a breach to a struggling swimmer and drop a life preserver, buying time until lifeguards can get to the swimmer. The project generated waves of attention on major outlets, partly thanks to Helen uh, uh, Greener, a uh, creator of iRobot and Room of Vacuum Cleaner, who saw the 47-second demo video Peter tweeted on Twitter. Uh, Greener retweeted it to thousands of followers with a, the video going viral from there. He was tweeting about the company again last month and noticed that she had contributed money for the Kickstarter campaign. You could not buy that exposure, Peter said. It's just one of those things that as soon as she tweeted it, it got picked up. He says he plans to build a company around Project Riptide and establish it in Stanford, where he got feedback and assistance from King students who participate in computer science and robotics class taught by Susan Heinz. Pedra is a software programmer by trade who lives in Manchester with his brother, a Stanford resident. Pedra remembers being interested in spacecraft at an early age. Did they say how much it is? Okay. The Splash yes. Drone is selling a device for $799 or $389 for a build-it-yourself kit. He has the drone attachment at $99, drone not included, with prices going up there from various functionality being added. An uninflated folded life ring is loaded in a drop mechanism that can be controlled remotely with a sensor triggering rapid inflation the moment it hits the water. The top-of-the-line riptide lists for 5000 with full beach coverage package for resorts, emergency responders that include devices, and a week of on-site training. That's right. You need at least a week of on-site training at any resort to buy this. Yes. The more tropical, the longer it will take. That's right. Um, got to make sure we compensate for tides and current. And uh, It would be interesting to see the total cost for that. Because you'd have to have a trained operator on staff at all times. Yeah. But $5,000 does not seem a bad, a bad deal. No, not for safety equipment. And to yeah. save a life? Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. is that just to drop something that would be a flotation device, or would there be a line attached to it? Well, depending on how far you're out, it'd be hard to judge a line. Therefore, you know, if, if, you, yeah. if I got an inflated something I could grab onto, that's a lot better than I don't have anything but me. Yeah, which makes sense. I, you know, with the cost of the attachment, that would make sense. That's what it is. Yeah. Just have like a little packet, little water sensor, moisture sensor. As soon as it gets wet, it inflates. You saw the picture, right? Uh, it's got a white drone, waterproof drone, and under it you got long legs, and under it is uh, looks like a rolled up safety sausage. Yeah, yeah. Because what he's doing is he's taking a drone that normally would have had a camera mounted underneath there, yeah. and they've replaced the what were the camera. Uh, yeah, because that, that DJI uh, Phantom drone that is a nice drone. I was thinking if you leave the camera on there, then the operator could continue to monitor the person's condition mm -hmm. and direct rescuers in. Yeah. Plus, the rescuers can hone in on the drone above. Yeah. Well, that that uh, DJI makes a, I believe it's a six-propeller drone that has significant lifting power. And that one, you could probably do a camera and have six buoys on it. They, they've, they've got some that are designed to do large Hollywood cameras now. And they've got quite a bit of lifting power. 
And uh, flying these isn't as tough as it used to be to fly helicopters or remote control. Uh, it's gotten much easier. Still requires a little bit of training, but it wouldn't take a long time for you to train. You just have that as one of the things. If you're a lifeguard, you learn how to operate the drone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a cool idea. And then uh, how about this? I think this is uh, the dive club's next boat. Yeah, I, don't, I want to know the dive club so I can join. But then again, I don't think I can. <laughs> Actually, looking at that boat, I know I couldn't, you know, the membership. Forget that. Yeah, and what, what uh, we're referring to is, and get this to come up, is that this is a yacht that is able to hold another yacht. I wouldn't mind being filthy rich. I mean, filthy, filthy rich to have that. Yeah, it's the 196-foot jade from CRN that comes with a hydraulic-powered hatch, which can just deploy a smaller but similarly opulent boat. And I would I would say that's what probably about a 30-footer, 28-footer, wouldn't you say? It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a low profile. Yeah, it's kind of a sportier boat. Yeah, built for speed. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you could you still got the platform in the back. You could get some divers in the water. Is that a dive oh. flag they've got in the corner? It's hard to tell. <laughs> nah, not unless it's green. Oh, is it green? It's having a hard time seeing the color on the screen. Yeah, the, the yacht's priced at uh, forty-eight million pounds. It can be filled with eighteen thousand liters of water and used as an indoor ocean pool. Or it can be used to park the boat. What's a hammam room? H-A-M-M-A-M room? Let me see. Where's that? So it also features a gym, that room, and an aquarium. Okay. Well, we're going to have to go back to the... I have no idea. It's uh, It's got to be a UK thing. So we are going to go to the great big book of everything and see what a hammam room is. A bunch of people are snickering at us right now. It's probably a dirty word. Uh, Hammam room is a steam room similar to a Turkish bath where Moroccans habitually go each week to cleanse themselves. Okay, that must be the green room I'm looking at then. Yeah, the I, I, I think it is. It's it's a steam room if you only pay 15000 for it. If you pay 94000 it's a Hammam room. Okay. Must be the candles that do it. Well, when you pick yours up, let me know. I'd like to. I'll help crew for you if you like. <laughs> Yeah, this is another one. So we had the one a few weeks ago that had the helicopter. This one has the boat. Uh, this might be the same one, really, if you look at it. Goodness. Let's, let's see. Let's go back at that. $48 million? You know, that's really, huh. I, I hate to say it, that's, that's kind of a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bargain. Okay, well, that does it for Scuba in the News. So if you would like to buy us a boat. You could send us a check, contact us, we'll let you know. Or loan us one. Yeah, you'd loan us one. Um, so let's see, what else do we've got? Uh, you can visit us on our website, www.scubobsess.com, that I promise I will be working on. I was actually going to work on it today. Uh, we've also got, you can follow us on Twitter, at scubobsessed. Um, let's see, has anybody got any diving in the last couple of weeks? No, I feel bad. I, I needed to get wet last week, and I didn't. Nobody was available when I was available. And this weekend, I was pretty much taken up. We've got safety day down in Plymouth. Anybody want to freshen up on their parachuting skills? That'll be Saturday in the, in the evening. So where is this? Oh, Plymouth, okay. Indiana. And so they've got, uh, uh, so you can do some skydiving? Well, right. They have safety, safety day every year. Uh, so most guys... If they haven't already, take the gear in, get it uh, inspected and repacked, have fresh packs. 
and then they go through and they basically tell you tell you what not to do so you don't die. That's always which good. is always good to remember. Yeah, I like not dying. Good, good Yeah, that's that's high on my list. But it's, it's a good event. So it's worth going to. Uh, let's see. Also, we have. Uh, let's see. We you can follow us on the Mud Club. Mud Club. dot com. And if we've got some uh, scheduled events talking about there, White Star has their calendar of events started up. Rich Sinowick is the curator or proprietor of that. Uh, let's see what else do we have coming up. Is there anything else? Well, let's see. Uh, Jim, how, when did you have your presentation, and how did that go up there in South Haven? Oh, it was a small group, and it went very well. That oh, was right. a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. What Lies Beneath? Yeah, actually, it was Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, that was at the South Haven uh, Maritime Museum? Yes. So and I did a presentation up in uh, Muskegon for the uh, Power Squadron up there. I did that on, of all days, April 1st. Uh, and did a, a similar program with a different slant up there. Uh, it was quite interesting. There was a number of people in the in the presentation that were divers slash ex divers. Okay. So while we haven't gotten any diving in, we did get some diving related activities in. Correct. Uh, and you said that the ice is breaking up near the pier. The, there is no ice on the North Pier. So North or South Pier side. South Pier sides. Right, you can okay. actually walk in there now and do a dive and actually get out. Okay. Now, how long do you think before all the ice is gone? Uh, basically, I was flying the other day, and it's basically gone. They had a little bit on the south side that was in a protected area. Uh, but it's been several days, so I would be surprised if there's any ice out there. Yeah, because we had uh, rain. Last night it rained hard here at home, and then throughout the day we were having rain on and off. Yeah. Uh, which is going to do good for river visibility. So we may have just missed the river season this year and just go right into lake diving. I just need to get wet. See, now we'll, be, now we'll start to watch for when they get the buoys out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. Jim, have you heard anything about when they're going to put that buoy out, or do you know if they are, since uh, has inputs? As far as I know, it's still going out. I checked today, and it was not up yet. And you're talking about the one up in South Haven, not the one in, off a of cook plant. Uh, neither one of them are up yet. Right. Cool. Okay. Let's see, is there anything else? Anybody got anything to plug? Oh, let me see what we got here. Not too much for April yet. We've still got, I've put down every the 11th, 18th, and 25th of this month, all Saturdays for dives to be determined. Uh, I know that as soon as Bob is off of his outage duties, he'll be chomping at the bit to get into the water. Any word on when that outage is going to end? I, I really haven't paid any attention to it lately. But it was supposed to be a 29-dayer, so... Oh, wow, so a pretty quick one then. I would think it's coming up to be done. Yeah, you used to hear all about outages when they were longer. Now when they're so short... They uh, try to be short. Yeah, they try. I mean, there's always things can happen. They can break something that you can't fix, and you have to replace, and that can turn a 30-day into a six-month. But it's been a while since they've they've had one of those happen by the last one was when the turbine went bad yeah 29 days is doable i mean they did a lot of prep work and again planning is the key having the parts before you need them is key yeah you have that kind of stuff then you can do it and good dedicated employees yeah and 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 they've got the incentive to do it Uh, okay and then uh did we talk about the open house at wolf's has that been since we... I believe we did, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was went well. 
Yeah, I, I miss a week and I'm all out of timing. Uh, and St. Louis Sam's in the chat room. I'm not sure what he's trying to get me to look at. He said, Checks Craig's, check Craigslist, which I know Craigslist is like uh, online classifieds, but I'm not sure what for. He said Plymouth, Indiana. So here, I don't, I don't know if they're just looking at, is there something particular we should look at, St. Louis Sam, if he's still there? Uh, I don't know, but you've got about an hour before you lose power. Oh, to buy a boat. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, oh, let's take a look. Uh, mm. Okay, so Plymouth, Indiana. I wonder if that's, is that where he's got a boat? Plymouth, Indiana. That's not too far from here. I used to work no. in Plymouth. So we're going to go Craig. Whoops. Sharing it on. I'm going to Craigslist.org, who's not a sponsor but should be. <laughs> uh, they, they, I, don't know. I don't even know how Craigslist makes their money. Let's see. So I'm going to go South Bend. I think that's the local area. And we go boats, which I'm sure this time of year is just loaded with nothing but boats. Oh, he's he wasn't saying he was. He's talking about go to Craigslist to buy a boat, which uh, oh. can be a good deal. And then Plymouth, he was talking about. Isn't that where your your uh, jump zone is? Well, that's where the one, the closest one around here is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was I was combining two threads together. So not specifically. So let's see, we got boats by owner, boats by dealer. Let's do boats by owner. You can get good deals with boats. I've seen even in St. Joe driving around where if I had an extra $20,000, know, some of these boats that were fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 new, you get a good deal on. If you had an extra $20,000, you'd have another horse or 10. No! Say it's not so. Oh. The truth hurts. Well, your wife would have another horse or ten. Yeah. Here's a 2009 Glass Run 205 GXL for 23500 It's got a pitcher. Yeah, it's just a speedboat. Not a good dive boat. Okay. Yeah, the St. Louis Sam saying a boat is a hole, you pour, a hole in the water you pour money into, which is true. Well, isn't that what they say? Your fondest days are the day you buy it and the day you sell it? Yeah. That's right, and it stands for Break Out Another Thousand. Yeah, and my, and my grandfather who owned marinas, he used to say, if you have to ask me how much, you probably shouldn't have it. <laughs> uh-huh. Also, he said the, the rich people were the biggest deadbeats there were. <laughs> okay, so are we ready for that time of the show? Ever ready. Uh-huh. Oh, did I do this one already? Let me see. Yeah, I have actually. Ooh, this is a bad one. What? That's a. Did it get any better over time? No, I've got the wrong one here. Um, Does it have anything to do? Does it have anything to do with chinchillas or chihuahuas? No, it didn't. I had one that Rod sent me, but the, then when I pasted it in here, it's not the the correct one. I must have overwrote it. So let me see if I can find it. It's the government fool with were, their internet in my, again. They were in my computer. They're in your computer. There you are. We they're, told they're you. In it. That new, you never should have used update. those encryption oh, files. Goodness. Yeah. You started encrypting your emails, and now you're a target. It had nothing to do with the 40 times I said bomb terrorists. <laughs> oh, just stir the pot. Just yeah. stir the pot. Well, actually, that was one of my uh, my plugins I wanted to do, is I wanted one that would that would take like the high trigger words and randomly insert it into every email you sent. And at some point, they would get tired of reading all your email. I was I was actually thinking about using them as like an archive service. You know, if you couldn't find an email, you could just 
you know, send the NSA mm-hmm. a message and say, hey, can you tell me what I said in this date? Yeah. Good. Well, that's, that's what they say. You don't have to back up your computer. Just ask them if they'd mind giving you a little more information back from yours. Okay. Well, let me see. I think this one might be the one I was looking for. Okay. So, okay, this one this one's going to be pretty bad. Okay. You ready? I'm bated breath, yes. Bated breath. So here we go. Stop eating fish. <laughs> <laughs> Cletus is passing by Billy Bob's hay barn one day when through the gap in the door he sees Billy Bob doing a slow, sensual strip tease in front of an old John Deere tractor. He performs a slow pirouette and gently slides off. First, his right strap of his overalls, followed by the left. He then hunches his shoulders forward, and a classic strip-teeth move lets his overalls fall down to his hips, revealing a torn, frayed plaid shirt. Though grabbing both sides of his shirt, he rips it apart, reveals a stained T-shirt underneath. With a final flourish, he tears a T-shirt from his body and hurls his baseball cap onto a pile of hay. Having seen enough, Cletus rushes and says, What in the world are you doing, Billy Bob? Good grief, Cletus, you scared the bejesus out of me says an obviously embarrassed Billy Bob. But me and a wife have been having trouble lately in the bedroom department, and the therapist suggested I do something sexy to attract her. <laughs> Okie dokie. John <laughs> Deere will never be the same. Yeah. So how many people do you have in the chat room still hanging on after all our ramblings and ranting and ravings? We had one. We had one who came in at the end after every everybody else. And those others didn't have anything to say. They were saying, some of them were saying really naughty things. So I think that they were just uh, spam in the chat room. But St. Louis Sam's a regular. And appreciate you and all the others who listen to the show and download. If you have any comments, send them to us at the show. And until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And don't eat any mermaids. What is it with the mermaids? Recording has been completed. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.